Sing his praise, love. 
Clap your hands, all you people. Oh, awake our souls, oh Lord. We come to sing praises to your name. We fix our eyes on you today. You alone. Come on, you're worthy of it. We know this one. Did you feel? Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roll? When the people rose to sing, oh, Jesus Christ, the risen one. Yeah. He's risen. We prepare the way of the Lord. Did you feel the people tremble? Come on, church. Did you feel the people tremble? Did you hear the singers roar? When the lost began to sing of Jesus Christ, the saving one. And we can see, and we can see that God your move. We believe it. A mighty river through the nations. And you know. Come on, let's return to the Lord today. Fling wide. Fling wide, you heavenly gates. Prepare the way of the risen Lord. Prepare the way. He is risen.
sometimes Sunday mornings can be really busy and really like, okay, let's get, let's get to what we're doing and then we're going to go to church and we're going to do the rest of the day. But as we continue in worship today, I invite you to just take a moment and breathe in the Holy Spirit. Come on. Breathe in what he's doing. Breathe in how he's moving in this place. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. We feel his presence here with us. Holy Spirit. Come to worship. And we want to worship with an undistracted heart a clear mind to remember the goodness of God and remember his glory as we behold his glory as we look at all of the things that he has given us to behold the beauty of his glory Lord we know that you hold everything in your hand everything living on this earth belongs to you you've thought through everything you've processed how you've made every living being God and we are so in awe of your glory, God, so we remember who you are. We remember that you are sovereign and merciful, God. You are good. Lord, we sing of your goodness. Peace. 
Who would you say is worthy? If the earth is the Lord's and the throne is the Lord's, the church is the Lord's, why do we fear? He holds it. Can we finish worship today by singing this old hymn? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early. And early in the morning, our song shall. Listen to that second verse, holy, holy, all the saints. And holy, 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 all the saints adore thee. Casting down, casting down their golden crowns around the glass. Cherubim and seraphim. up here and holy important to, to know, but the kind of knowing that you you know that you know it. <laughs> Not just something up here, it's I really know that these things are true, that the earth is the Lord's, that the church is the Lord's, and the throne is the Lord's. There's only one who sits on the throne, and it's not us. <laughs> we don't have to hold the weight of that. Only God can hold the weight of that. But you know, knowing that that all that belongs to God is not something that's far out there and lofty. When you know that, it changes the way you live. If you really know what, what God holds and what we don't, that changes the way we walk through day by day. And I feel like that's the invitation of God for us today. Not that we would just know something, 
that we would let knowing that change our lives. Because we, we all know the verse from Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, who are burdened, if there's something crushing on you, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. And in the very next verse, he tells us how that happens. And sometimes we quote the part where he invites us, but we forget to, to, to quote the part where he tells us how that happens. He says, take my yoke upon you. <laughs> it's an amazing picture Jesus gives you and me. You know the yoke, right? Where, where it's that tool that they would use with two oxen so that if they were in the yoke together, they could work a field, they could plow the field together. Jesus, what he's saying to us today is, if you know what's in my hands and what's not in your hands, here's my invitation, leave your yoke behind because your yoke is crushing you. You will not make it. <laughs> you weren't designed to be in that yoke. You were designed to be in the yoke with me. And I, I feel it as, as, as true as I feel anything else, what Jesus is saying to us today is saying, come into the yoke with me. Like it's not just know that he is who he is, it's leave our way behind and come to Jesus. And imagine being in that yoke and the life that we have to live instead of saying, okay, I gotta face Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and man, it's gonna be a rough week. You know, sometimes you have that feeling. Jesus is saying, don't think that way. Just remember, look to the side, because I'll be right there with you and learn from me. He's, he's gentle, he's humble in heart, and when you learn from him, then that's when it becomes true, that the yoke is easy, the burden is light. It's, it doesn't disappear, it just means you can make it through it because Jesus is in the yoke with you. And so if you walked in here today, I feel like that's the invitation. It's maybe you feel tired, you feel like the burden is, is crushing, there's something that happened this week that was unexpected. You weren't planning on having this burden on your shoulders walking into church today, but it is what's happened this week. Whether it's bad news, whether it's some relational fallout, whatever it is that happened, would we say yes to Jesus to his invitation? Come into the yoke with him. And let's just say, I'm, I'm not gonna pretend that I hold the earth in my hands. I'm not gonna pretend that the church is mine, that the throne is mine. I'm going to rele release all that. I'm gonna give my yes to Jesus. So maybe if you came into church today, would you, um, and, you, and you feel that burden, you feel tired, you feel weary, would you be bold enough just to raise your hand? I wanna pray for you today if that's you, all across the room. If you're near one of those people, maybe put your hand towards them and that's way we can support one another. As we pray this, let me pray for you. Father, you see us here, you see our hands in the air, and you said that your throne is a throne of grace, that your position towards us is, is, is to give us the things we don't deserve, and so God, we lift up our hands, and we say we let go of the control. We let go of pretending that these things belong to us, and so knowing what's in your hands and knowing what's not in our hands, that's why we worship you. We don't worship anyone else, we worship you. But Lord, right now we, we say yes to your invitation, how we need to rest. We need to rest in knowing that we are in the yoke with you. And so Jesus, we say, would you teach us today again? <laughs> teach us again. Show us the gentle way, show us the humble way, show us the way that only you can teach us. And I pray that by the power of your spirit right now, all across this room, you would now fill us with the power of your spirit that we would have the strength to go from day to day, from glory to glory, that every day we would see more of who you are every single day, God. I pray that for my brothers, I pray that for my sisters. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and if you agree, say amen. 
Amen. Amen. We love standing next to each other as the church of God. And hey, there are four ways to give. They're listed on the screen. You can give online through the app and mail or in the boxes at the back of the room. We do all this to worship Jesus Christ. He's the one who holds it all. He's the one whose name is greater than anything we face. So come on, let's, let's keep worshiping the Lord now with this song. We sing to him together. I'm Christina. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Briggs. If you're new here and you're wondering what ministries New Life Church offers, you can scan the QR code or click the link below. And if you're joining us from Facebook or YouTube, let us know where you're tuning in from because we would love to say hi. It's time to lean in, grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready for a powerful message. Uh, good morning. How are you, church? <laughs> good. Man, I was standing on the front row over there during worship, and I just thought, man, during holy, 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 I thought I died and went to heaven. I, that 
was so beautiful. And there is such a weighty presence of God in the house this morning. I'm just so grateful uh, to be here. If you're new this morning, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor at New Life East. And uh, it's a joy to be in the house with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm going to pick up where Pastor Brady left off last week. Before I do that, I need to make an announcement and give a little testimony. Can I give a testimony? Okay, well, I was going to do it whether you said yes or not. But so we did. We've got baptisms coming up here at New Life Friday night and New Life North in just a couple weeks. So October 13th and 15th. And baptisms are just such an amazing time. Baptism historically has always been the moment or the rite of passage that the church has used to sort of mark entry into the life of Christ and entry into the life of church. So when a person wanted to say yes to Jesus, historically they got baptized and that's what we're doing now. And over the last couple of years at New Life, we have baptized, I think, somewhere in the ballpark of seven to 800 people. And so when you divide that up by the number of days in a year, that's like, so remember how in the book of Acts, it says that the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. It's like we have baptized one person a day for the last like two and a half years. Can you believe that? I mean, like, thanks be to God for that. And the stories that are happening are just so amazing. So we baptized last weekend at New Life East. We got a busy October coming up. So we decided to do it last Sunday. And one of the gals that we baptized was a young woman named Peyton. Now Peyton started coming to our church about two years ago. Her family lived in the neighborhood surrounding Grand Peak Academy where we meet. And the family did not attend church. No real faith in the family to speak of. And Peyton at the time was about 11 years old. And she went to her parents and she said, hey, can we start going to church? And her parents said, true story, well, we're not really interested in church, but you know, there's a church, I guess, that meets in that school over there. So if you want, you can ride your bike on Sunday mornings over to church. And so Peyton started riding her bike to New Life East every Sunday morning and quickly fell in with our community. And we started watching the work of the Spirit begin in her life so quickly and so profoundly. All of a sudden, Peyton is making friends with some of the young people at our church as she's volunteering in our kids' ministry. Uh, like a year and a half ago, she was actually junior volunteer of the year for us at New Life East, which was amazing. And about a month ago, and like we're just watching, we're just watching the Spirit like work wonders in her life. And about a month ago, when I started announcing baptisms, uh, Peyton was sitting next to my daughter, Bella, who's 14 years old, and Peyton elbows Bella and she says, hey, Bella, do you think I should get baptized? And Bella goes, yes, you have to get baptized. So Peyton signed up to get baptized and we stood up and worship and we sang the songs and we declared our faith together, the Nicene Creed. And then Peyton was, she was the first person in the horse trough last Sunday. And I, as she stepped in, I got to tell you, like I, I was overcome by emotion. And she got down into the waters and I put my hand on her back and I looked her dead in the eye. And I said, Peyton, I am so proud of you. And we love you so much in this church and Jesus loves you so much. And the work of the spirit is so evident on your life. And it is my honor, it is my privilege to baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I brought her back up out of the waters to crazy cheers from the New Life East crowd. And do you know who, who was on the front row bearing witness to her baptism that morning? Her family. And I ugly cried, and I mean it when I say I ugly cried. I ugly cried through her baptism. I ugly cried through all of the rest of the baptisms. And I ugly cried right up until the time that I got to preach and I was still ugly crying just a little bit. And this is why I don't know how this stuff happens. 
And we have good planning and we have good programming and we have good worship services and good preaching and all that stuff around here. But I still, there are places in the human spirit that only the spirit of the living God can touch. What has to happen for an 11 year old girl growing up in a family that has no real faith to speak of, all of a sudden to begin to desire Jesus and she winds up at a church and she gets integrated into that community and she like she decides, she says yes to Jesus and she goes down under the waters and comes back up again a new creation Jesus said this nobody comes to me unless the father who sent me draws that person and all over I'm saying this in part to encourage you church but also because there are some of you in the room this morning that that story is also your story that there is this profound work of the spirit that has been taking place in your life where you're noticing faith awakening in your heart for Jesus, a love for the church, a longing for the church and a desire to yoke yourself up with the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. Would you please take the plunge? <laughs> Change your life saying yes to Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? We're in first Kings chapter 11. And I'm picking up where Pastor Brady left off last week. Of course, you know by now uh, the story of 1 Kings. It's the story of David is getting ready to die. He hands his kingdom uh, over to his son Solomon. And Solomon at this point we've seen has been faithful, devoted to the Lord. He's walked with God and he built up the nation of Israel uh, to staggering political power, staggering financial power. But there are some cracks that are beginning to form in the foundation of Solomon's reign. Pastor Brady talked some about them last week. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about them this week, but this is the moment in the book of 1 Kings where the story begins to go decisively off the rails. I'm in the book of 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse four. Hear the word of the Lord, the scripture says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. He had been at one point fully devoted, now he's not. As the heart of David, his father had been, and he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Now watch what he does. On a hill east of Jerusalem, so facing the holy city, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And he did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their God. And the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And although he'd forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I'll most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime, but I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And then the Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary. Hadad the Edomite from the royal line of Edom. Brothers and sisters, uh, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Thanks be to God. So Lord, we come before you and we're hungry and we're thirsty. Our hearts burn for you. They yearn for the living God. So we say this morning, come among us. Come among us. And Jesus, that is the promise that you gave us. You said that wherever two or three are gathered together in your name, that you would be right there in the midst of them. And so we're trusting you this morning. We're trusting you to be among us in all of the ways that we need you to be among us. I'm recalling what they said about you in Luke chapter seven, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people is what they said about you. 
And we can't do this unless you're in our midst. We ask you, great prophet, son of the living God, that you would rise up among us in strength, that you would help us, that you would give us all that we need for life and godliness, that you would raise us up to be true sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. Grant it, we pray. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. You know, if the story of Solomon had ended in 1 Kings chapter 10, it would have been such a great moment. He had done all that God asked him to do, and he built the palace, and he built the temple, and he's got all this wealth, and he's showing it off, and it's just this amazing thing. And so, like, they all lived happily ever after. That would have been awesome. (laughs) But now we get this moment in 1 Kings chapter 11 where all of the things by which the empire was being held together, namely obedience to God, Solomon, because of his love for his wives, forsakes all of those things. And God is very harsh with him in his judgment. And this should not have come as a surprise to Solomon, because you might remember that in 1 Kings chapter 9, after Solomon has dedicated the temple and the palace, he has a moment where God appears to him the second time. And this is what the Lord says to him, like solemn charge, like Solomon, you've got everything put together. Now remember these things. The Lord says, as for you, If you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and you do all I command and observe my decrees and my laws, if you do those things, like just stay faithful to me, guy, okay? If you do that, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said that you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and you don't deserve the commands and the decrees that I've given you and you go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut Israel off from the land I've given them and reject this temple I've consecrated from my name. Verse 8, Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. Next slide. And this temple will become a heap of rubble. Like Solomon, you don't just get to keep this. You don't just get to assume that it's a status quo that holds together forever. But if you turn away from me, this whole thing will begin to crumble. And Solomon turns away from the Lord and the Lord says, now I'm going to make good uh, my word. Solomon here in 1 Kings chapter 11, do you know what he's doing? He's violating the first commandment of the Decalogue. And do you remember what that commandment is, the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And like the fir- that's the first one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you don't get any of the other ones right, just at least get this one right, Solomon. And like the first thing that Solomon does after his reign is established is he begins worshiping these other gods and serving these other deities. And so the kingdom all of a sudden is off kilter. Now I know what some of you may be thinking. Here we are kind of living in modern 21st century Western world, the United States of America. And there are, we've learned so much more about deities and religions and all of that. And you know, don't like all roads lead to the same place. And who really cares that much one deity over another? Isn't it just important that you kind of have a general relationship with the transcendent, you know, and that's the thing that will kind of help you live a whole and coherent and happy life. And like, what is the big deal? Why is God freaking out so much? Again, don't we know that like, all roads lead to the divine in one way or another. And the Bible answers that question with a decisive no. (laughs) All roads do not lead to the divine and all deities are not just different manifestations of the one God. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning. I'm going to give you a little 101 here. We're kind of in catechism class here. And the title of my message this morning is this, the problem with idolatry, the problem with idolatry. 
Uh, John Calvin, one of the great reformers, said this. Now, just in case you might be thinking, okay, Andrew, so the problem with idolatry, that's great, we're having this conversation. But, you know, it's been like a really long time since I worshipped an idol. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to, it's been like a long time since you caught me in the backyard bowing down before something and slaughtering bunnies and all of that, you know, and... <laughs> I'm not one of those people. I don't do that kind of a thing, but I think that idolatry takes many forms, okay? John Calvin, the great reformer, said this, that the human heart is a perpetual forge of idols. It's a factory of idols. We're always inventing new things to worship. Another great reformer, Martin Luther, said this, and this is good. This is helpful for thinking about idolatry. He said that whatever you hang your heart on is your God. Whatever you hang your heart on is your God. And so now we see it, don't, it doesn't have to be like the ancient deities of the ancient Near East, but it can be anything. Money, sex, power, pleasure, prestige, wealth, your marriage, your children, anything that takes the place of God is an idol. And so we, as we have this conversation this morning, I want you to think about the things that you hang your heart on. The things that you give your love and your devotion to that compete with your allegiance to God. Can you do that for me this morning, church? And I think we'll have a productive time together. First thing I want to say to you about idolatry, number one, this, that all idolatry is an attempt to solve a practical problem. All idolatry is an attempt to solve a practical problem. Nobody in the ancient world or today sits around and kind of has a sort of philosophical discussion with themselves and then goes, you know, after reasoning about it for a long time, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to worship this God and that God and this God and that God. Idolatry doesn't work that way. Idolatry is always an attempt to solve a practical problem. There are three deities that are mentioned in this text that we just read from. I'm going to put them up on the screen here. Uh, Ashtoreth, best that we can tell from the ancient Near Eastern world, she was the goddess of fertility. So why would you worship Ashtoreth? Because you wanna make sure that your crops and your fields and your livestock are productive because that keeps the economy going. And so if I worship Ashtoreth, that might actually ensure that we have money in our pockets. Oh, okay. All idolatry is an attempt to solve a practical problem. Chemosh, it's another God that's mentioned. He was the God of war. And so I've got all of these enemies that are crouching at my doorstep. And if I just give a little bit of allegiance to Chemosh, then what he'll do is he'll ensure that those enemies that are crouching at my gates, that they're less hostile than they would have been otherwise. And I can come out on top of my enemies. They won't spoil my life. All idolatry is an attempt to solve a practical problem. Molech, best that we can tell from the records that we have, is that Molech was the god of death or the underworld. And nobody wants death in their house. Nobody wants early death. Nobody wants the severing that we experience from loved ones. And so if I give some allegiance to Molech, that deity, he's going to spare me from an untimely death. Do you see that? All idolatry is an attempt to solve a practical problem. And the psalmist knows this too. Psalmist here in Psalm 81 is riffing on the first commandment and says this, Hear my people and I will warn you. If only you would listen to me, O Israel, you shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not worship any God other than me. Then watch this, verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. What does the text say? I want you to say it real loud, church. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. I know why you're tempted to worship other gods. It's because you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're afraid. So how about this? I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and what? I will fill 
it. Can we trust God to meet our needs? I was friends with a guy a year ago, years ago when I was in college. And I love this guy, good guy. And we worked at a restaurant together when I was working through college. And fun guy to hang around, vibrant personality, boy and fella. But he always, like in all of our conversations, I just found that he was constantly like talking about money. It's like one of those guys that was like, you know, when I finish out, when I finish college, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do the other thing, and I'm going to make like a ton of money. You know, I was like, okay, well, that's great. You know, like, and he never was like super clear on like what the thing he was going to do that would like add value to the world that also made him money. It was really just mostly about making money. And every time we would talk somewhere along the line in the conversation, it would come up. I'm just going to make a killing. I'm going to go out and make a bunch of money. And then he started reading this book by this guy, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he became like this. Some of you know this book. And he became like an evangelist for Rich Dad, Poor Dad and real estate and having assets and getting ahead of it and making money and all of that. And I was like, okay. And it like just got to the point where it was not only annoying, but it was also somewhat concerning. <laughs> You know, like, I don't know that Christians, and he was a believer, you know, so like, I, but I don't think that Christians should actually talk that way about their future. You know, like we want to be a prosperous people, but we don't make prosperity a goal. We make like worshiping God and following Jesus a goal, but not that. But he would just always talk about it. And then I'll never forget this. One day he was like, hey, my wife and I want to have you and your wife over for dinner sometime. We were like, great. And so we set, up a t- <laughs> we set up a time to hang out with this couple and we went over to their house and they made some great food. And we sat down at dinner with them and it was wonderful, a really good time. And they cleared off the table. And then my friend, he said to me, he goes, hey, do you guys want to play a game? And we said, sure, let's play a game together. And do you know what he pulled out? Rich dad, poor dad, the board game. <laughs> it's like, dude. It felt like unclean to me. I almost would have rather like played Dungeons and Dragons or a Ouija board or something, you know? <laughs> the way that it was competing for his allegiance was concerning to me. But you know what's really fascinating? What I found out in all of my conversations with him? That his dad was a traveling minister and they always lived by the skin of their teeth financially. And so somewhere along the line, my friend made an inner vow. We're never going to be like that. We're never living hand to mouth like that. That whole thing that we did with my dad, we're like, we never knew where the next paycheck for what was coming from. And we were just like having to live by faith week after week. I am never, ever doing that again. He made an inner vow. All idolatry is what? It's an attempt to solve a practical problem. Do you know what this comes down to, folks? Do we trust God? Do we trust God? Do we trust God with our finances? Do we trust God with our sexuality? Do we trust God with our careers? Do we trust God with our marriages? Do we trust God with our kids? Do we trust God with our friendships? Do we trust God? Because the Lord says in Psalm 81, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth. Can you finish it with me, church? And I will fill it. A couple weeks ago at New Life East, a guy got up and gave a testimony. He had been through a really difficult season about a year and a half ago, had an injury in his back. He was a construction guy. Had an injury in his back, had to take some work leave, medical leave, because he had surgery on his back. He was out of work for three months, four months, rehabbing his back, getting it strong again, trying to get back in the game. He gets back in the game at his job. And one of the first things that happens within like two weeks of being back on the job is that they tell him that uh, they're letting him go for no reason other than like, hey, the work is good and we love what you're doing, but like we're cutting back on the workforce and downsizing and all that stuff. And so they give him a severance check, two or three months pay. You know, like, here you go. Thanks so much. And go ahead and take care of yourself and all that. And he goes, so this is about a year ago. He's got his severance check in his pocket. He had just gotten it. I don't know why he had it in his pocket, but he was at New Life East one Sunday morning. <laughs> and all of a sudden he's in the middle of worship and he hears the Lord say to him, I want you to tithe off your severance check. 
and he gets in a fight with God. He goes, God, <laughs> it made me tithe off my severance check. Like I, what I understand from the scriptures is that we're supposed to tithe off of our increase. And this isn't really my increase. This is more like my life raft is what this is, you know? This is the thing that I'm using to like survive. So I don't know why you would ask me to tithe on this. And he just feels like the Lord is saying to him over and over again, tithe off of your severance check. And he's like, in this fight, I don't really want to do this. Then he says, he hears the Lord say to him, and I don't want you to tithe off the net. I want you to tithe off of the gross. He's like, God, I don't want to do that either. I don't want to do any of those things. And finally, the Lord says to him, will you just trust me with it? So he does it, writes a tithe check off of his severance, like the story of the widow's might, you know, like all he had to live off of. And he got up and he gave a testimony two weeks ago at New Life East. And he said, I did that. I gave that tithe. And I have in the last year, I have had more work than I know what to do with. <laughs> I'm turning down jobs. I am turning down opportunities left and right. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and... All idolatry is an attempt to solve a practical problem. Number two, I'll say this to you about idolatry this morning, that all idolatry carries hidden fees. <laughs> all idolatry carries hidden fees. You know about hidden fees, don't you? Say you signed up for it and you thought the thing was going to cost a certain amount, but actually, like, if you get down, like, deep down into the fine print, you find there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this. And all of a sudden, what you thought you were purchasing was a lot more than what you had bargained for. I'll tell you about a hidden fee that I experienced one time. Uh, my family and I were driving out to California for a little family vacation, and we were passing through Nevada. Whew. That's a good place to pass through, let me tell you. I don't mean to insult you. From your, you're from Nevada. But that's like, you know, the part of Genesis where it says like, now the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the, so that's like what it felt like. And we were like just holding on for dear life to like try to get through that state. And we wound up having to stop for gas, ran out of gas. Uh, and so we're in some podunk town in the middle of Nevada and we pull off into a gas station, convenience store. And I'm a little bit hungry. So I go into the convenience store and I see a power bar there and the power bar costs like $3 and I like power bars, but that does seem a little exorbitant to me for like whey protein and peanut butter or whatever is in there, you know, but fine, whatever, $3. And so I grab the power bar and I go to the counter and I give it to the lady and she, you know, rings me up at the counter and she says, that'll be $4 and 50 cents. And I said, what $4.50? I said, the power bar was $3. She said, yeah, but there's a, there's a $1.25 convenience fee. So I'm like, little things bother me. <laughs> and I said to her, this is no joke. I go, lady, this is a convenience store. <laughs> the whole thing is a convenience fee. <laughs> I don't know how you're charging me $3 for a power bar and then $1.25 on top of it. If you want to charge me $4.25 for the power bar, you just go ahead and do that. But don't, what is this? But that's what a, a hidden fee, you know what I mean? Like, just so you know, you thought you were going to be paying this much for the thing, but actually the price was going to be, the, do you know that all idolatry carries hidden fees? You think that you're purchasing something, but actually there's all of these extra things that are built into it. And so the Israelites, Solomon here, is tempted to worship Asherah because she can create fertility in the land of Israel. And tempted to worship 
Chemosh because he's the god of war and so they can provide protection from the enemies and tempted to worship Molech because he's the god of the underworld and so he can save us from death. But you know what the price of worshiping these deities is? Ashtoreth, one of the ways that you worshiped her was via temple prostitution. So the cost of worshiping the fertility deities is the degradation of our sexuality. And Chemosh, the cost, the hidden cost of having protection from our enemies is human sacrifice. In fact, usually when you conquered another nation, what you had to do was exterminate all of those people. So there was no honoring of their dignity, honoring of their humanity. You had to wipe them out completely. And the hidden cost of worshiping Molech and getting protection from the underworld was that you had to sacrifice one or two or several of your kids in the fires, child sacrifice. Idolatry always carries hidden fees. We think that it's going to give us something, it actually takes so many things away from us. I think of, just to use a historical example, I think about the people of Germany following World War I, a nation that had been devastated by that and the mistakes that were made and also insulted by some of the political moves that the global community made after World War I. This was a, this was a community that was down on its luck and feeling bad about itself and embarrassed in the eyes of the world. And so all of a sudden, an inner vow begins to form in Germany that we need to make our nation great again. And we're going to do that by worshiping German blood. We got to make German blood great again. And we got to make German soil great again. And all of that sounds great. The redignifying of a people and the redignifying of a place, that's not a bad thing. Those are good things. God wants all the peoples of the earth to prosper and he wants all the nations of the earth to prosper and he wants all of the lands of the earth to prosper. The problem is when you make that the highest value, all of a sudden other values and other goods begin to go out the window when it competes for allegiance with the living God or when it usurps the place of the living God. And we know that story, don't we? So much bloodshed and so much devastation. And it took our world so many decades to recover from that little inner vow. And all it was was shame and embarrassment. All idolatry is an attempt to solve a practical problem. And all idolatry carries hidden fees. And we start worshiping other deities. And I don't know what the gods are that you worship. Wherever you hang your hat, that's your God. I don't know what it is that you worship, but I promise you it is going to take from you so much more than it ever gives you. Israel, after a long period of worshiping idols and finally being taken into slavery, the prophet Jeremiah wrote this in Lamentations about Israel. He said, how deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she who was once great among the nations. Is she who is queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night and tears are on her cheeks and among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Israel thought that what she was going to gain was all of this power and safety. And instead, in worshiping idols, she lost everything. Can I tell you about my friend who was the rich dad, poor dad guy? We lost track of that guy over the years. And Mandy and I decided several years ago to do a little social media investigation just to see how our friends were doing. And it turned out in the years that had followed, they had a few kids together and it seemed like things were going good. But when you did a little investigation, you found out that they were divorced. And it's hard from a distance to know exactly what was going on there. But sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And her Facebook profile picture is her with her little babies and she's remarried. And his Facebook profile picture is him leading up against a brand new BMW. So I don't know all that happened there. 
But like I want to ask him, was it worth it? Was it worth it? All of that chasing the money, all that chasing the wealth, all of those ways in which you ran from the insult and the embarrassment and the fear of how you were raised when you were a kid, now you've got shattered hopes, shattered dreams, shattered family, you're alienated from your kids. But I hope the BMW is awesome. I hope it's awesome for you. All idolatry carries hidden fees. And I wonder about you. I wonder what you're tempted to worship this morning. I wonder what's competing for your allegiance. I wonder what's pulling you out of your relationship with God. I wonder if for you it's career. I wonder if for you it's sexuality. I wonder if for you, you have made marriage into an idol or getting married an idol. I wonder if for you, it's seeing your enemies suffer in some way. I wonder if for you, it's your political party. (laughs) I wonder if for you, it's some agenda that you've got in your life that all of a sudden has become all consuming. I, I promise, I know why you're doing it. You're doing it because you're trying to solve a practical problem in your heart and in your life and in the world around you. But I also promise you this, it carries hidden fees. It will take you farther than you ever dreamed you would go. And it will leave you like Jerusalem with tears upon your cheeks, nothing left. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. All idolatry is an attempt to solve a practical problem. It carries hidden fees. Number three, I want to say this, and within five minutes or so, I'll bring us to the table here. When we give ourselves over to idolatry, do you know what God does? He doesn't just stand idly by. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't wink at it. But God opposes us. Look back at verse 14. Lord, the scripture says, Then the Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary. <laughs> Hadad, the Edomite from the royal line of Edom. Who raised up against Solomon an adversary? Not rhetorical. Come on, church. Who raised up against Solomon the adversary? Who did that? One more time. Who did that? The Lord did that. And when you read the rest of 1 Kings chapter 11, you'll see that it's not just Hadad, but it's Rezon gets raised up and it's another person Uh, Jeroboam from within the ranks of Solomon, God all of a sudden goes to work inside of Israel and at the borders of Israel, raising up adversaries against Solomon. And I'm fascinated by that. I was stuck on that all week, that God raised up against Solomon an adversary. I want to ask you a question, church. Is God love? Is God always love? Does God ever do anything that's less than loving? No, he never does. Everything that God does is love. Everything that God does is for our good. Everything that God does is for our benefit. So I have to ask the question, why would God raise up against Solomon these adversaries? And I can think of two possible answers. One answer is that God is doing this to limit King Solomon. Solomon right now is in charge of the most powerful empire that the world had ever seen. But if that empire all of a sudden is animated by dark forces, like the worship of Ashtoreth, and the worship of Chemosh, and the worship of Molech, God has a moral obligation to the creatures that he has made to limit King Solomon, to make sure that that evil does not spread. What's happening, by the way, right now in Israel is that Israel is turning into Egypt. Egypt at the time that the Israelites were oppressed inside it was the most powerful empire the world had ever seen, and it was animated by the dark forces of alien gods. And so when Israel decides to become like Egypt, what does God do? He limits it so that the evil cannot spread. Number one, that's an act of God's love. But number two, I think that he does it to provoke our repentance. That what God is trying to do with Solomon is he's trying to get Solomon's attention. 
hey, buddy, I'm bringing these folks against you and I'm causing some pain for you at the edges of the empire. Would you please turn your heart to me? What does God's opposition look like in our lives when God decides to raise up adversaries in the midst of our idol worship? What does that look like for us? I'm gonna give you three things. This is how you know when God is bringing a kind of adversary against you, trying to provoke your repentance. Number one, it looks like this. It looks like the sting of conscience. You ever been making certain kinds of decisions in your life? And then you're right there, kind of in the middle of the decision, or you've got your personal prayer life, and so you're before the Lord, and you feel that little sting of conscience saying, don't walk that way. Do you know what that is? It's God's opposition. That's God's love. He's trying to warn you, hey, if you go this direction, it's going to create devastation in your life. Can I say something to you this morning, church? If you feel the sting of conscience, pay attention to it. That's the first warning post. But if we ignore that, do you know what the second warning post is? God will bring along our paths, the voices of other people. All of a sudden, you'll have folks in your life who will start saying, hey, buddy, do you really think that's a good idea? Or, hey, do you really think, you know, like I'm really happy that you're dating somebody all of a sudden, but I'm not sure if that person is good for you. Or the kinds of decisions that you're making at your job, I'm not sure that those are great decisions. Or it might be that you have your subordinates at your job come to you and they say, hey, this might be hard for you to hear, but I was just wondering if you might reconsider the voices of other people. Those voices, think about this, guys. The Lord raised up against Solomon an adversary. God was acting in Hadad the Edomite. God was acting in Rizan. God was acting in Jeroboam and God is acting and speaking through those people to call you to repentance. Will you pay attention to it? But if we fail to ignore that, God has one final thing that he'll do. And you know what that is? He will bring the fruit of bitter consequence to our doorsteps. And when that happens, the decision that's in front of you is to either repent or harden yourself against the living God. C.S. Lewis said it so beautifully when he said that God whispers to us in our pleasures and he speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. Pain, Lewis said, is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world to action. If you blow past your conscience and you blow past those people, then what's going to happen is your world is going to start collapsing around you and you will feel it at the edges of your little empire. When that happens, please repent. And this is the tragedy of Solomon. That when this kind of thing happened with David, his father, do you know what happened with David, his father? When David was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba, David falls down on his knees before the Lord and Psalm 51 comes gushing out. Oh my gosh. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For you know my transgressions, O God, and my sin is always before you. And before you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're justified when you speak and prove right when you judge. Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time. My mother conceived me, created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of your... David is crushed. And the sacrifices of God, the scripture says, are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Do you know what Solomon does in response to the pain? He goes out and he tries to kill Jeroboam. <laughs> no softness, no tenderness of heart. Solomon, for all of the good that he did, 
And for all of his magnificent accomplishments, Solomon dies apostate, hardened against his God. And so this morning, church, I am imploring you. I don't know where you're feeling the opposition of God in your heart. I don't know what the thing is that you're worshiping that is not God, but I am asking you, I'm begging you, I am pleading with you this morning before it's too late and your heart is gone, get soft again before God. And we all do this. Like Calvin said, the human heart is a, it's an idle factory. We're all always tempt, being tempted to substitute other things for God, but that's why we come to the table of the Lord. <laughs> we come here so that we can acknowledge that again and go, God, I'm so sorry, what have I done? Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. And so would you do that this morning, church? Would you stand to your feet as we prepare our hearts for the table? Would you just get soft in your heart before God? The Apostle Paul says that before we come to the table, we ought to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. And I'm wondering about you this morning. I'm wondering about where the idols are for you, where the things are in you that are competing for God's allegiance. I'm wondering about the things in you this morning that you're hanging your heart on that are not the living God. And would you do something this morning? Would you just take your heart in your hands this morning and just say, God is yours. God is yours. Dear children, John says, keep yourself from idols. And we have too long worshiped idols. And we're so tempted by it. We're so tempted to worship our reputation and we're worshiping our status. We're so tempted to worship our money and our power. We're so tempted to worship our sexuality. We're so tempted to worship our country or our political party. We're just so tempted. But the promise of the scriptures is this, that you will give us singleness of hearts and action so that we will always fear you for our own good and for the good of our children after us. So this morning we're saying, create in us clean hearts, O God. Spirit of the living God, we ask you to send to descend upon us and to burn away, break off of our lives the idols. And we pray that you would unite our hearts again in the fear of God. Granted, we're praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. I'm gonna invite our servers to come forward this morning. The ushers will dis uh, dismiss you row by row. You'll come forward here and grab your communion elements. This is your first time with us. We come to the table of the Lord every time we worship and the table is the place where we meet with the risen Christ. He offers us the bread as his body and the juice as his cup, his blood that's given to us to make us clean. And so the ushers will dismiss you row, row by row. Come forward, take your communion elements, head back to your seat. We're gonna sing this song of worship and then Pastor Eddie's gonna lead us to the table.
are my portion. think anything else needs to be said, but can I just pray for us? Father, here we are at your table as we get ready to receive the body, receive the blood. We're reminded that we come to this table not because of what we've accomplished, but because of what you've accomplished. And it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Like it's, it's the fact that you really love us and you know that these things that we want and these things that we worship, they're not even for our own good. They're not good for us. And so, Lord, we, we receive what you have said. And we come to this table letting go of all things that have taken your place, God.
And thank you that you don't uh, speak truth over us to shame us. You speak truth over us to bring us into new life. And so, Lord, here we are again. And we receive this blood that is shed over us for the forgiveness of our sin. Let freedom reign in this place, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took, took the bread and he said, this bread is, it's my body, which I now give for you. So we, we take and we eat in remembrance of him. We eat together. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. What Jesus is saying to us is saying, whatever you brought, whatever you repent of, my answer is yes. My answer is yes, you are forgiven. Now walk out, not carrying that anymore. Walk out knowing it's forgiven. So we drink together in remembrance of him. Come on, let's express our gratitude to the Lord. Sing to him. Let's give praise to the worthy one, Jesus Christ. You are worthy. Yes, Lord. Oh, man, there is just a sweet spirit in the room today. And I mean, it's always there, but something, something special about what God did here today. So we just receive it, right? We, we say, yes, Lord, thank you for what you've done here today. It's been so good to worship with you. Just a couple things before we head out. Uh, if you're new around here, new life, and you have any questions, we'd love to meet you at Connect Central, straight out these middle doors to the left. There's people there who can answer any questions. We want to connect with you. If you want to know about opportunities where you can plug in here at New Life Church, we can let you know all that information there. A couple things that are coming up. First off, it's the men's retreat. Uh, today is the last day to sign up for it. So if you have not signed up, you can go into the lobby. There's a table where you can sign up. Let's just settle that, that on, on October 6th and 7th, you know where you're going to be, men. You're going to be at this retreat. So sign up in the lobby uh, if you have not done so yet. And then the second thing I want to let you know about is that on October 4th, which is a week from this Wednesday, we're going to be back in this room and we're going to be recording a live workshop album. And uh, we're very excited. We've been singing all these new songs. That's why these new songs are around, uh, because we're going to record these songs. And because it's a live worship recording, you know what we need? We need you. 
We need the worshipers of God in the room, so make sure you're planning in your calendars October 4th to be back here for a first Wednesday where we're gonna record this worship album. All right, before we head out, why don't you just open your hands up in front of you. I just wanna pray a blessing over you. The psalmist says that God is his glory and he's the lifter of his head. So I pray that you would experience God as the lifter of your head today. For anything that you brought in that you have confessed and that you have laid at his feet, now he would lift your head as you walk out. You walk out not with face looking down, you walk out with shoulders high and face lifted up knowing that you now get to shine the glory of God to the world. Everything that we have, we've received. And so what we give, we give from what we've received from God. And so go now in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We'll see you guys next week.